Good morning, Finders and Coffee, and welcome to this week's edition of the Friday Wrap for the 30th of October. My name is Michael Tran, and I'll be your host this week. And yet again, we're at the end of another month, less than two months away uh, from Christmas, uh, but also two months away towards the end of the year. So the end of the year is around the corner and slowly creeping up to us. And it's been an eventful month in terms of the news, but also a very eventful week in terms of the news. So let's waste no time, buckle your seat in, and let's delve straight into it. Uh, so I wanted to start by talking about the COVID news, particularly around Victoria and Melbourne. And so it's great to see you guys are out there enjoying your freedom with the ease of restrictions. And also the numbers across this week has been quite minimal for Victoria. So it's great to see the state is finally heading in the right direction. I can't say the same for Sydney and New South Wales. We've seen six new venues across Sydney with a new coronavirus, uh, sorry, a new coronavirus case. So if you are in New South Wales and you are in Sydney, please do hop on the state government websites, check those locations, check the timing. If you aren't there, great. If you are there, please do get yourselves checked. Now, sticking with the topic of New South Wales, we've also seen the state government increase the number of quarantine health hotels after a sharp increase in the number of overseas travellers arriving with COVID-19. Now, as the other states also open up or relax their borders to take in international travellers uh, after New, New Zealand, uh, we could potentially see a spike in cases as well, where other states may potentially look at increasing health hotels as well. So it's something that we'll have to look at as we continue into the future. Uh, we're also waiting today to see whether or not New South Wales will be allowed to go into Queensland on November the 1st. So it hasn't been announced by the Queensland Premier just yet, but it will be announced today whether or not we, we, whether New South Wales will be allowed to go in. So stay tuned and listen out for that announcement. Uh, we've also spoken about on the wrap where stimulus from government uh, or the federal government won't be pulled out until inflation and unemployment targets hit a certain uh, threshold. So ScoMo has also hinted that the coronavirus supplement for welfare recipients is expected to extend into 2021. Uh, that's particularly of the welfare payments not having a um, or clarity of what's going to happen after December 31st when it cuts off. But Scoma has come out and hinted that it may continue into 2021. So at least we've got some sort of clarity or a hint of it just there. Now, I also wanted to quickly touch base on the Australian Tax Office. So they've actually called back about $120 million out of the $69 billion in JobKeeper payments this week, which it deemed ineligible. But they did say it wasn't from gross fraud. It was just from not crossing the T's and dotting the I's on all the application forms where they were certainly ineligible. Uh, the ATO has also actually increased their debt book, and the debt book has actually grown by more than $53 billion as of Tuesday morning. So the collectible debt, that's, that's debt owed by individuals, businesses, and super funds to the ATO, now that's actually reached a record $34 billion. Now that's up from, uh, up from $8 billion year on year. And the majority of the collectible debt is owed by small businesses, and that accounts for about 21.4 billion dollars. And as you know, I'm always very passionate about SME, so it's very important at this stage how the federal government pulls its levers, uh, particularly around the ATO as well, because if the ATO do call on that debt, it could sink a lot of businesses and even damage the economy from its recovery rate. Now, diving into the remainder of the news this week, another topic that really popped out was the ABS data on consumer prices. So finally, we've seen in the September quarter, inflation has increased. As you remember last week, oh sorry, last quarter, we had a deflation period where inflation actually went backwards. So it's actually good to see this time that this quarter, that the inflation target has gone up by about 1.6%. 
Now that was largely driven by childcare prices you know, as, as the, the stimulus fell off from the federal government. So childcare prices went up by roughly about a percent and also petrol prices and fuel across the global economy were starting to recover. So they went up 9.4% in the September quarter that passed as well. Now, one other topic that really came out this week, uh, which flagged a couple of articles and probably a topic that I wanted to spend a little bit more time on because I promise our listeners and viewers, this is going to hit home very, very quickly. Now, the topic is carbon neutral or net zero emission targets. Now, we've seen three nations come out this week joining the carbon neutral campaign. So we've seen South Korea, Japan and China all coming out saying they want to be carbon neutral by 2050. Now, if you consider China, Japan, Britain and South Korea, who have all come up with carbon neutral plans, they account for $310 billion of the Australian annual trade in coal and gas between them. Right. So they're very, very big buyers of our exports in coal and gas. So the concern with some economists is if, if these nations do decide to stick very strictly towards their carbon emission strategy by 2050, they're going to pull back on coal purchases as well as natural gas. So how would this impact Australia's GDP? Because we know inflation targets, GDP, unemployment, it all comes from trade and export of Australia's coal and gas as well, because it affects all other industries. Uh, but most importantly, the federal budget was based on Australia having a certain threshold of export income from coal and gas. So my question is, will the federal budget model, will the federal budget model need to be remodeled uh, to account for all these nations that, have, that are now pursuing to becoming carbon neutral by 2050? Because taking away 310 billion in annual trade from our GDP is going to be a big whack, right? And if the federal budget is modeled on this presumption, and if it doesn't occur, will Australia's recovery will be longer? You know, will it require more fiscal, monetary, or even quantitative easing? Uh, will the road to recovery be a lot longer than we expected? So these are some of the questions that did pop up in my mind when I read some of these articles. Now, where it sort of really hones in and becomes a little bit more prevalent uh, to our listeners and viewers is that ANZ this week also announced that they have their own carbon neutral plan, 10-year strategy into 2030. So they are committing to stop directly financing any new coal-fired power plants or thermal coal mines. Uh, including expansions by 2030. Sorry, expansions by 2030. Now, now, ANZ have also pledged to no longer provide services to any businesses that make more than 10% of its revenue from thermal coal. So that's going to be an interesting one. I don't know how you're going to police that. Um, just looking at a few businesses, how do you police that? I mean, you can look at utility bills, but it's very hard to police whether or not you know 10% of its revenue was directly uh, produced from thermal coal. So that's it's a very interesting criteria, and I don't know how NZ are going to police that, but the NZ have gone a step further, and this is where I think it's going to really hit a lot of listeners and viewers, particularly in the development field. Now, ANZ have also made changes to how it would finance the construction of large-scale office buildings, saying loans would only be provided if buildings were highly energy efficient and had a five-star energy rating. Now, that's going to cap a lot of the way developers are going to approach commercial office buildings um, and how they're going to how they will eventually build them particularly around the costs associated to get it to up to that five star rating or, or energy efficient level so that's quite interesting from that aspect i might even touch base with a few of my builder or construction friends just to see how they are going to react to that sort of news in the market because we don't know whether or not other major banks may come out and come up with their own sort of corporate responsibility to the, uh, to global climate change and come up with their own sort of carbon emission 
or neutral uh, targets by 2050 or 2030 as well, like ANZ. So that's that's one that that I'm certainly going to monitor quite closely and see how it develops uh, as we progress uh, into the next year. Now, one other topic that I want to throw into the mix that we did discuss quite a while ago. I made mention I love wine. If you know me, I love 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 wine. So if you do meet me, please get me a glass of Shiraz. <laughs> But we have seen that the data from, from Wine Australia shows that the exports have shrugged off the pandemic downturn uh, and it's actually increased by 4% compared to last year. And we know earlier this year that there was a lot of skepticism around tariffs placed on Australian wines, particularly on the export of cheap wines and so forth. But it seems like China, now being the most lucrative market for Australian wines, has increased its spend by 4% on Australian wines despite all the rumours. So. Uh, it looks like our wine industry or vineyards in Australia are doing okay, so that's good to see. Now, turning to the banks, uh, again, bringing up ANZ, besides the, the strategy plan that came out, they also announced a 528 million hit to cash profits for its second half results this week, booking a growing remediation bill, mainly due to accelerated software cost write-downs and also COVID uh, uh, write-down periods as well. Uh, we've also seen NAB announce last Friday its remediation bill would increase by 508 million and it would pay $128 million to its staff that had been underpaid. And Westpac also reporting largest hit to earnings, flagging a $1.2 billion made up of write-downs across its insurance businesses, remediation bills, and also another $400 million expanded provisions to pay for the Austrac legal case as well. So the banks are being hit heavily with uh, remediation bills, provisioning, as well as um, underpaying staff, according to NAV. Now, uh, the board of Bendigo and Adelaide Bank is also taking a pay cut, saying it's sharing the burden of financial difficulty, uh, especially during the COVID pandemic. So it's great to see a corporate responsibility come out from that bank as well. Now, turning out to the property, we're seeing developers face millions of dollars in levies for large projects on land next to Sydney's new airport at Badgerys Creek. So this, this may be a little bit more applicable to our New South Wales listeners and viewers, but Penrith and Liverpool councils are considering imposing a levy of 6.5% on the cost of developments for more than 200,000 anywhere bordering the new Western Sydney airport. So so we know if you lived in New South Wales and, and, and sort of judged the market around that new Western Sydney airport, everything around it just went gangbusters. Uh, and there was a whole uh, scandal with the federal government purchasing a $33 million parcel of land now valuing at $3 million. So that's that's on investigation as well. So this may be a step towards uh, preventing a lot more development uh, or overdevelopment around that Western Sydney airport. So it's something that we'll, we'll monitor closely here in New South Wales. Uh, the other aspect that, that came out in the news was the housing affordability. So according to Moody's Investor Service, housing affordability, uh, housing affordability is at its best level in more than a decade and will improve further over the coming year thanks to low interest rates and falling house prices. Now for new home loans issued in September, households with two income earners were shelling 23% of their monthly earnings on mortgage repayments. Now that's down from 25% earlier that year. So what we're seeing is people are spending less of their actual income uh, towards mortgage repayments. Now I don't know whether or not this stat is skewed by deferred payments at all or how many people actually participated in this survey. Uh, because if you do have home loans out there that are on deferral payments, well, technically, you know, households won't be spending as much money or their income to make mortgage repayments because they're not due. Um, so I haven't gone into the article to see all the back data that they've used to, to shell out the article. So it's something quite interesting that I want to delve into to uncover and eventually forward to you guys here at Finance and Coffee. But look, I'll leave it there for this week. I hope you all have a, fun, uh, a fantastic week. 
uh, enjoy the the weather outside. Except if you are in New South Wales, please do avoid uh, going outside because I believe the eastern seaboard is hammered by superstorms this week. But wish you all the best and I'll see you all next week. Thank you.